You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wasn't pretty, but it's a win, and we'll take a win. It's easier to watch film after a win. It's easy to uh, communicate with the guys after the win. And, uh, you know, the good thing is we get to play them again and hopefully correct some of the sloppiness of the game. But I thought our guys competed at the, at the very least, and I thought they executed down the stretch, which was a major point of emphasis for us uh, into that fourth quarter. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 912 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. You just heard the words of Lloyd Pierce in his opening statement after the game today. But the Hawks get on the board, as he said there, with a victory by a final score of 108-97 over the Minnesota Timberwolves and the shorthanded Timberwolves in this spot. And as we'll get into the game momentarily, I will just say at the top, this is a solid win. The Hawks won the game. They covered the spread. They won by 11 points, and nothing is assured in the NBA. With that said, the Hawks didn't play fantastically, and they benefited from a bad team. And that's what happens. They had to get this win, as we talked about on our, on our last podcast. This is one the Hawks absolutely needed to get in a big way, and they managed to pull it off. So you can hear that, I think, in Lloyd Pierce's voice, and we'll dive into uh, all of the ins and outs of the game momentarily. First, um, to the pregame stuff here. Not a whole lot has happened in terms of uh, between the last game the Hawks played on Saturday night and Monday afternoon. I will have some audio from Lloyd Pierce on the MLK Day experience and the impact that it's had in the city and what the franchise is doing and all of that kind of thing at the end of the podcast. That's sort of non-basketball, so I'm going to save it to the end. If people want, people want to log off, they can. But otherwise, not a whole lot going on. There was one injury concern or question mark heading into Monday. That was Cam Reddish, who had a left knee contusion. He missed the game on Saturday. Of course, he was questionable for this game. And he did not play. He was ruled out by Pierce in advance of tip-off, so we'll see. Hopefully, he'll be back on Wednesday, but the Hawks were at least down a few players as they have been the entire time. Of course, no Gallinari, uh, no Bogdanovich, no Dunn, and no Reddish, so you know, four of the top ten or so for the Hawks and three of the top six or seven. So pretty shorthand in their own right. At the same time, Minnesota did not have Carl Anthony Towns or Ricky Rubio, and obviously Towns is their best player by a wide margin, so they were shorthanded as well. So kind of a um, an ugly battle at times, and fitting of that, the Hawks were actually, according to our friends at Bellalanda AG, the Hawks were 7.5-point favorites in this game, 1 by 11, so there you go on that. But we'll dive in now to the ins and outs, as we often do on the podcast, and thank you for joining me as always. All right, let us dive in. At the beginning, it was pretty ugly, quite frankly, on both sides. The two teams combined to miss their first six shots. There was a nice block by Clint Capelli nearly going. Um, but then the Hawks got, 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 they, they sort of hit a uh, stagnation early on that sort of re, re, uh, rediscovered later on, unfortunately, for Atlanta. But uh, it was 9-4 to Wolves early on. The Hawks opened 2-8 of eight from the floor. Out of a timeout, though, they sort of came alive. Uh, there was a 3 from Kevin Herter, who played great in this game, and then a really awesome alley-oop from Trey Young to John Collins. Uh, that sparked a 12-0 run overall by the Hawks, taking an 18 to 11 lead. There were a bunch of runs in this game on both on both sides. You know, sometimes games are sort of more back and forth. This time around, it was just kind of haymakers on both sides, and that was the first big one for Atlanta. Um, Rotation-wise, the Hawks were pretty shallow in this game. I'll actually play some audio for you later on. I actually asked Lloyd Pierce about the rotation in this game and sort of why he went so shallow. And the Hawks played nine guys overall, only eight 
in the second half. But in the first half, it was Solomon Hill as the first sub for Click Capella. And the Hawks pretty actively staggered Capella and Collins in this game. They played all 48 minutes with one of those guys at center and no backup center in this spot. So that's worth noting. And they actually brought Capella back in for Collins later in the first quarter. Obviously, sort of a blatant stagger. And then Rajon Rondo came in for Trey Young. That was his only stint of the game, actually, which is uh, interesting in retrospect. We'll come back to that later on. But um, Trey actually had to come back in pretty quickly because DeAndre Hunter was actually bleeding after a dunk. It felt like, I'm not sure if that was ever confirmed, but it was actually, I think he cut his arm on a dunk that he made, which is uh, kind of a strange one. But uh, he came back, came, back in, came back in, of course, and played well in this game. Uh, Tony Snell played at the very, very end of the quarter. Actually, he had a, a pretty important corner three at the end of the first quarter to put the Hawks up by four points. The Hawks were just okay offensively. They didn't have 11 assists in the first quarter, and that was one of the bright spots in this game was the passing when they weren't turning the ball over. So they had so many assists, so many turnovers, but we'll talk about the turnovers later on. But the Hawks did do their part in the first quarter. Trey Young had six assists in the first quarter himself, and all five starters had four points or more. Trey, Trey actually didn't take a shot. In the first quarter, he did have four free throw attempts, but that was uh, sort of a theme that we'll get to back, you know, sort of later on here. He was actually held to eight shot attempts in this game from the floor. Um, in the second quarter, uh, it was a pretty ugly lineup at the outset with Rondo, Goodwin, Snell, Hill, and Capella. That's one of those things about having all these guys out is that you can't, you know, you can't, unless you're Tom Thibodeau, you can't play these guys 45 minutes a game. So you have to have some ugly lineups along the way. This is probably the worst one of the game. But they actually got a three from Tony Snell early on, actually in the exact same spot as he hit the one in the first quarter. That was nice to see from him. But they it didn't last very long. They went back to Young and Herder, sorry, Young and Hunter at about a 10-minute mark, and they sort of weathered that to some degree. Um, there was a big run for the Hawks after they stalled a little bit at the end of the first into the early second. An- another 12-0 run by Atlanta to go up by 13 points or break the game open a little bit. Yeah, that was that was the best stretch of the game for Trey Young, who hit back-to-back threes and then found Kevin Herter on a lob in transition to sort of key that. Uh, he, he did from there sort of got, sort of started feeling it a little bit, more of a heat check kind of thing, took a pretty bad one after that, and then turned it over. That prompted a timeout for, for the uh, Hawks to sort of stop the bleeding a little bit there. But they went back to the starters with about five minutes to go in the first half. That was the first time in about 15 minutes of game time that Collins and Capella played together. As I said before, it was more of a pure stagger in this game. There was a wonderful pass by Trey Young to DeAndre Hunter for a layup in which he totally manipulated the defense in a beautiful way. He's really good at that. Uh, obviously, he's not, not breaking news that he's a good passer, but that was a really fun one to see. Uh, and then I thought I thought it was uh, worth noting that John Collins had a great strip on Nas Reed. It was ruled a block uh, at the end of the first half. He actually was credited in this game for five blocks at one point, which would have been a career high for him. Uh, ended up being corrected down to four, which is still tying a career high for John. He was very good defensively, one of his better games of the season on that end of the floor. Um, the Hawks did get a little bit loose at the end of the first half, let the lead sort of dwindle a little bit. They probably should have been up by more at the break, honestly, than they ended up being. But they're up by seven going into halftime after a four-point play by D'Angelo Russell, sort of a bad foul by Trey Young uh, to go from 11 to seven, but still up seven at the half. Now, I will say this now, this is a big theme. The Hawks shot the ball pretty well in the first half, and that was really the entire game. And they had 16 assists, which is, that's a good that's a good recipe. But the Hawks had 16, yes, 16 turnovers in the first half of this game, and 12 turnovers in the second quarter. That's really hard to do. Like, it kind of goes without saying, if you, do, if you do the math on that, even a bad turnover game, you might average five a quarter. Uh, five a quarter is 20, and that's bad. The Hawks had 12 in the second quarter. A turnover a minute for a whole quarter. That is not what you want if you were the Hawks. So they were actually sort of lucky to weather that and still be winning. Um, 
Still, uh, they actually did cause a lot of turnovers in the first half, which is good. The Hawks have not been big on, on creating turnovers this, this season defensively, so that was a, uh, a strong start on that, on that end of the floor. It actually held the Wolves to 0.88 points per possession in the first half, and that allowed them to sort of overcome all the turnovers and still hold on and uh, be leading by seven at the break. Um, before we get to the second half and some takeaways and all kinds more from this game, a word from our friends at betonline.ag. The NFL season is winding down with only a few teams still alive in pursuit of this year's championship. There is plenty to discuss, and with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA getting geared up as the regular season rolls on with great matchups on a nightly basis, there's dozens of college basketball games each and every night, hockey games ramping up, and much, much more. From there, the NFL playoffs are still in the center of the frame with two conference championship games this coming week, and the big game for all of the marbles to follow after that. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings for Battle Online on any sport you can think of. Battle Online also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, a ton of future bets, and even the weirder offerings that diehards always seem to love. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and do not forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit with the site. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus, but online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so after the halftime break, it was more of the same in some ways for the Hawks. They won the first half by seven. They won the second half by four, but it definitely wavered at times after halftime. We'll get into that now. The Wolves scored the first five points of the third quarter to cut it to two. That prompted a timeout, and then there was a pretty horrible turnover, honestly, in the backcourt from Trey Young and John Collins combining to uh, sort of have a, a dead ball turnover on an inbounds pass. I'm sure that if you saw it, you remember the play. But that led to the Wolves tying the game. So they, they scored the first seven points overall to tie it. Um, then the Hawks did respond from there with Collins hitting a three, actually, on the next trip to break the ugliness. Uh, Trey Young got his fourth foul with about 10 minutes to go in the third quarter and had to sit the entire rest of the way. They could have brought him in a little bit sooner probably, but he still, you know, he needed to sit for a long while there with four fouls. That was kind of bad timing. They went to Brandon Goodwin in place of Rajon Rondo, which I actually support. I think that Goodwin is a better fit with the starters than Rondo is, particularly defensively with the way that he gets into guys and plays with energy. I like that decision, but it was interesting to note that Rondo never, never played again. Um, that was something that uh, didn't shock me, but, Certainly worth noting that they went to Goodwin over Rondo in this game, and uh, we'll come back to that later on. But a 17-3 overall run by the Hawks after the Wolves tied it, going up by a 75-61 score. That included a really nice three-man fast break from Herter, Collins, and Hunter that ended with a three-point play for Hunter. And a lot of that run came with Trey Young on the bench, which is noteworthy because you know Trey was not like incredible in this game. I'm not sure that it was because he was on the bench, but that that was uh, usually the Hawks. Anytime the Hawks have a good run without Trey, it's worth noting because they're usually so much better when he plays than when he doesn't. And also late late in that run, there was another huge dunk from Collins. The second time in the game that he had to really sky and get up for one uh, and finish both of them. The first one was from Young, the second one from Herder. So a lot of fun there to see John sort of getting up in the way that he does. Um, DeAndre Hunter got, got his fourth foul late in the third quarter and got a rare technical foul, which Lloyd Pierce then praised actually after the game because Hunter is known as a very quiet guy, uh, steady and all that stuff. By the way, Pierce praised his steadiness in this game, and I would agree with that. I thought he was really good in this spot, but he actually liked to see the fire from Hunter. And I, on the three-point play that I mentioned a second ago, Hunter had a pretty long scream uh, celebration, which is not necessarily his brain either. So he's definitely coming out of his shell a little bit. That's good to see. And uh, But unfortunately, that was the fourth foul, so he had to come out of the game as well, and the Hawks were kind of shorthanded as a result. They led by as many as 14 
as I said before, in the third quarter. They actually settled in at seven, though, so they actually broke even in the quarter. It was weird. It was basically they were terrible offensively at, at the beginning of the quarter, had the one big run, 17-3, to and then basically that was it for the entire quarter because they actually sort of went back in the tank. It was a 20-20 to quarter, and when you realize that a 20-20 to quarter featured a 17-3 to run by one team, that kind of tells you the story of how back and forth it was in that spot. Um, and by the way, through three quarters, the Hawks had 22 turnovers, including a really, really bad one on a long pass by Solomon Hill at the end of the quarter. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the theme of the, of the theme of the day, negatively anyway, was the turnovers in the spot. In the fourth, they went back, they went back to Trey Young alongside the starters. They have uh, except for Tony Snell was in, except for uh, for Hunter because he had he had four fouls in his own right. The Hawks did not score well at all at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Only two points in about three and a half minutes or so, and they had their season high for turnovers with nine minutes left in the game. You don't want that. In fact, the Hawks had 24 points in the first 16 minutes of the second half, which is kind of just brutal, especially given their opponent in this spot. But from there, the Hawks did wake up an 11-2 run again to go up by 15 with six minutes to go. It should have been over at that point in time. There was a nice run there from Kevin Herter, who had five points in a row, and then a good kickout pass from Brandon Goodwin to, De- to DeAndre Hunter for a corner three. And up 15 six, with six minutes to go against a bad team, you should be pretty much coasting from there. Of course, the Hawks were not coasting from there. Uh, it got a little bit dicey. Out of a timeout, there were two empty trips in a row. D'Angelo Russell had five straight points, and that was back to 10 within about a minute. And then out of the timeout, um, they got they got a dunk by Clickapella, but then the Wolves made back-to-back threes to cut it down to six with three minutes to go. So it went from 15 down to six in about two minutes uh, with an 11-2 run by Minnesota. And there was a really bad force three from Trey Young in there. He was trying to stop the bleeding, got a little bit over-aggressive with a pull-up. Um... From there, though, the Hawks did stabilize a little bit with a huge three by Kevin Herter that stopped the bleeding. Um, they gave it back in the other end of the floor with, with Anthony Edwards hitting a three, but then Trey hit a floater to go up by eight with two minutes to go, and then it sort of go, went back and forth from eight to six, eight to six, eight to six. Um, Capella sort of bailed them out a little bit. There was a bad possession, I thought, when he had to gather and hit a little bit of a lefty hook on the baseline. That was not a good possession, but it ended up in a bucket, which was all that mattered in that moment to go back up by eight. And then Russell missed pretty badly, and that kind of sealed it at 102.94. And then the Hawks didn't score, but then after, after they got a stop, Trey gets to the line, makes makes two free throws, goes up by 10, and that was the end of that. And uh, it settled in at an 11-point victory. So I guess it felt more dicey than it actually was in the end. The Hawks led by um, six or more the entire way at the end. Um, I will say the, the Wolves did have the ball down six at one point, so that's more than you would like to um, – more peril than you would like we'll just say, for Atlanta. But they were able to hold on, and offensively in the fourth quarter, it was a little bit better after the slow start, so that was a positive because the Hawks actually have been pretty good in the third quarter this year. This year, Coming into the day, the Hawks had a plus eight net rating in the third quarter, which is excellent, but in the fourth, they were just ghastly uh, before today. Obviously, this helped a little bit with a plus four uh, margin in the fourth quarter today, but yeah, there you go on that. Now, we'll get into some takeaways here. <laughs> I will just say the turnovers were the story of the game, even in a win. So the Hawks said they're season high for turnovers with 26. Yes, 26 turnovers, uh, including, again, 12 in the second quarter. The Hawks had a 60% true shooting in this game, which is very, very good, like league-leading good, and still only managed to score 1.02 points per possession, which is bad. And it was because they turned the ball over a ton. So they shot 47% from the floor, 39% from three, 92% from the line, 23 of 25 including three of three, three, of three from, from Capella. So that's all really good. Um, 32 assists is really good. They just turn them all over a ton. And it puts your defense in a bad spot as well. Kicked it around all day long, really. 
And uh, yeah, that was kind of a, a kind of a big story. I'm gonna insert now a uh, sort of a piece of sound from Lloyd Pierce. He was actually asked by Sarah Spencer, who we'll hear in a second, about the turnovers. He uh, didn't didn't even allow her to get, the, get, get her question out before interrupting and kind of saying that uh, it was a, a, a sort of an understatement. So you'll hear momentarily. But this is what uh, Pierce had to say about the turnovers. Um, Lloyd, obviously more turnovers than you'd like. Um, what did you see as the I guess some of the the main That's reasons? An understatement. <laughs> um, what can you see uh what can you see as the reason for those and how can you clean that up moving forward you know we, we talked about execution last game and <clears throat> you know execution sometimes you think of as just being in the fourth quarter and that's been a concern for us but our inability to execute in the first half was was we, we continue to try and play fast and then when we don't have anything we stay unorganized and, and a lot of our turnovers is instead of just settling down and getting us organized into a set, we just start making up things. And obviously the ball was slippery and it's just flying all over the place and we're throwing lazy passes and cross court passes, uh, whatever the reason may be, uh, but we just have to settle ourselves down and get organized if we don't have easy and early opportunities. And it was it was balanced. It wasn't, it wasn't just one guy. I thought all of our guys, you know, played that way tonight. Uh, when they had those random opportunities. I think here's the frustration there, and rightly so. You know, this is a game the Hawks, you know, should not have been this close in. It was because they turned the ball over a ton. So that's worth noting. Uh, on the bright side, they survived it and shot the ball well. I mean, that's what the, th- the theme of this podcast in a lot of ways the last couple of weeks has been the Hawks just not making shots. And in this game, that was not a problem. The Hawks made their shots at a pretty high clip. So that is an encouraged an encouraging step forward. Just got to take care of the ball as well. Um, defensively, they dominated the glass, which is really important in this spot to close possessions. They actually grabbed about 82% of the rebounds defensively. That is an elite figure. Capella was really good on that regard. But even some gang rebounding, like Trey Young had eight rebounds. Herter had six. Collins had seven. They did a good job on the glass, and that was important to close possessions. And just in general, the defense was good in this game, especially when they were allowed to set up. So the Hawks allowed about a 92 offensive rating to the Wolves, which is dreadful. Again, it has to be adjusted on some level for the lack of Towns and Rubio. This is a pretty bad team they played against. But the numbers were even better when they were not sort of turning the ball over and placing live ball, sort of coming back down the, the other way. So when the Hawks had a chance to set their defense, the results were good in this game. I have no complaints about the defense really whatsoever. A couple of bad moments, but that's always going to happen. Um, in general, they had some help. But the Wolves actually shot okay from three. They were 14-37 to 37 from three in this game, so it wasn't like they benefited too much from that. They just kind of held their ground on twos. In fact, the Wolves shot, I believe, something like 40%-ish on twos, which is uh, nice. That's what you want to see from the Hawks. So a positive on that end of the floor, and I want to make sure that I, we said that out loud. And the last thing that I will mention about the overall game state in this game was the rotation. So we'll get into the individual players momentarily, but Lloyd Pierce played nine guys in this game, and only eight of them saw action in the second half. So you'll hear my question. I included it on this so you can hear the way that I framed it. But uh, here is uh, my prompt to Pierce about the rotation. You used a pretty short rotation, I think, only nine tonight and only eight in the second half. Is that uh, what the plan was going in or just shortened it up because it was a close game? Um. You know, I thought we had a bunch of guys that were playing well. And, you know, I didn't want to just play guys. I, I thought Dre w- was really critical of being out there. Um, and I thought Kevin was playing extremely well. And I wanted to keep those guys on the court as much as I could. Trey obviously gets in foul trouble. And so, you know, BG ended up playing a lot of minutes. And, you know, I was going to go to Big O, uh, but the game 
you know, we never really stretched the game out. And I thought there was going to be some time to get him in and get some energy. Uh, but the way Clint and John were playing and to bring big O in in the second half in a tighter game, I thought would, would have been a gamble. We missed our opportunity early. And so we just stuck with the guys that, that really much, that pretty much got us there. He doesn't get into Rondo there, which is interesting to me. Obviously, they're treating Rondo differently than most guys on this team this year because of the veteran status and all of that. But, and again, raise my eyebrows a little bit. He didn't play in the second half. The Okongwu thing is what I really wanted to play the audio for because that was a question I was getting a ton of about Okongwu not playing. I thought that Saturday it made sense to not play on the back-to-back. I was a little bit surprised to not see him today, but not shocked. It's one of those things where the Hawks need to get this win. And I think reasonably you could expect that Okongwu isn't going to be a big plus for them right now. Had they played Bruno, I would have been a little bit more concerned if I was a Kongwu uh, or someone trying to support a Kongwu and all that stuff. I think it's okay not to play him right now in a game that you needed to win. Um, you heard there that he was playing on hoping to try to get him in there, but it never really got there. Like in the second half, I thought that the Hawks might run away and you might get some real Kongwu time in the fourth quarter, but they never kind of did that. The game was always in doubt on some level. And as you heard him reference, like playing him in the second half cold isn't going to work. So, I think it will be a priority to get him on the court at some point, but the Hawks do need to win games. And something I pointed out on Twitter today, but just worth worth reemphasizing, Akamu is in a really bad spot for him. Um, maybe not a bad, but unfortunate spot in that, yes, he's a number six overall pick, but no summer league, which is important, no real offseason. And then you get injured and you're battling. I mean, they knew that, they knew that when they drafted him, but he was injured coming out of the draft. So he really had not been playing basketball for several months. Then he misses training camp, misses all the practices. Obviously, he's been around the team and doing a little bit of stuff, but it's not exactly a normal situation for a guy like that in the middle of this weird COVID season. So he's behind the eight ball. That I mean, they're not saying that necessarily, but it's definitely the case. It's one of those things where he just needs more time to play, and uh, I think we'll, we'll probably see him at some point this week. But uh, I was not dismayed by not seeing him in this game. Um, then playing a short rotation made a little bit of sense to me, and we'll see if that we'll see how they approach Wednesday against Detroit. Okay. Before we get to the individual breakdowns on the podcast, a word from our friends at rockauto.com. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics to do it yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everyone and they're always low. Instead of the market changing prices, rockauto.com simply presents the lowest prices possible at all times. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, rockauto.com has everything you need, just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is also easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. Rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login of any kind. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend more for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com all right, so we'll breeze through the individual breakdowns on this fine Monday evening into Tuesday. And uh, we'll start with the reserves, as we usually do. Um, only four guys play, as we talked about before. Uh, Rondo, eight minutes, was the fewest. He did not score, had two assists, two rebounds. I thought he struggled, and it, it really sort of indicative of why he maybe didn't play more, is that he's not been good since returning from the injury. Obviously, it's a small sample size. He's not looked very good. Um, he played well before the injury, I'll say that. Um, but this is kind of what... I thought they might be getting from regular season Rondo at times, and uh, that's probably maybe why they went to Brandon, who they like a lot. Also, let's talk about Goodwin now. Goodwin actually played 19 minutes in this game. He was shot 1 of 10 from the floor, which is not what you want, obviously. 0-3 from 3. 
Uh, two points, did have two steals, two assists, and four rebounds. Was plus 10 off the bench, though. And Lloyd Pierce even expressly mentioned the fact that going went 1 of 10 and how that wasn't necessarily indicative of the way that they um, saw the value of him in this game. He talked about his defense and his energy and all that stuff. They definitely value Goodwin. Um, obviously, it's tough to play him if he's going to shoot one of ten, but I thought he did make some positive contributions, and especially in that stretch when Trey was battling the foul trouble, they needed him to come in and just give them a little bit of a spark, handle the ball, play, play some defense, and he did his he did his job in this game despite the ugly numbers from a shooter perspective. Um, Solomon Hill, 0 of two from the floor, 16 minutes. He was okay. Had three turnovers though. The one bad one, I thought he was kind of uh, pretty shaky for him in this spot um, in terms of overall stuff. Did have an assist and a steal and a rebound, but did not score. And then Tony Snell, um, his real contribution in this game was the two threes from the exact same spot in the corner. But that's what he needs to do, honestly. Right now, they need somebody to give him some floor spacing. He did that. He made both of his shots. Uh, got a rebound. Did Tony Snell stuff. Had three fouls. He was fine in 13 minutes. But this game was really all about the starters. All five starters played 32 minutes or more. And honestly, it would have been even more if not for the not for the foul trouble over to Trey. Because the other four starters played 36 minutes or more, and Trey would have been probably somewhere in the high 30s had he not had the foul trouble. So we'll start um, in the middle, actually, with, with Click Capella. Capella had 23 points and 15 rebounds, two steals, three blocks, and two assists. And, uh, yeah, that's obviously really, really good. Uh, efficient from the floor, 10 of 16. That's the line three times, made all, made all three. I think he actually probably wasn't quite as good as the numbers indicated, but that's only because the numbers were so good in this game. I thought he was a little bit shaky on some rotations at times, but I'm nitpicking a little bit. Uh, he did play well, and again, rebounding-wise, he's just kind of a breathtaking rebounder. He's so good. He's one of the top five rebounders in the league, probably. You know, By the numbers, he definitely is right now. 15 more here, four on the offensive glass, 11 on the defensive glass. And he was the best center on the court, obviously, for for both teams in this game. Good to see him play well. And 39, by the way, that's, that's a lot of minutes for, for Capella. He was a guy that I thought they might manage a little bit. And maybe they will when Gallinari returns and all of that stuff. But 39 minutes for him is a lot of minutes for a true center in a game on, in the afternoon on a Monday after a back-to-back. So good to see him play well and stay on the floor and be active throughout the game. Um, John Collins, I thought, was solid or really, honestly, pretty good in this game, just in a limited deployment sample for offense. Um, 15 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, and 4 block shots to tie his career high. He was a game-best plus 22 and probably earned that with the way that he played. I said it before in passing, but this is one of the better defensive games I've ever seen him play. He was very, very good defensively. Made a lot of plays. It's not just the blocks. You know, I'm not a huge blocks and steal guy. It, it matters. But he made rotations. He made verticality plays at the rim. Good contests. In the right place at the right time. I thought John was very good. He was engaged. He played well. Offensively, he was efficient. 6 of 8 from the floor is very good, obviously. 1 of 2 from 3. Made both of free throws. I only wish they would have given him the ball more, honestly, because a lot of, a lot of things happened in a positive way when he when he touched it. Um, the pick and roll stuff when, when Capella was off the court, and it was Trey and John that clicked, as it often does. His, he made some nice playmaking stuff from the, from the elbow. I thought he played really well. And honestly, better than the numbers indicated for John here. So, good to see him playing well. I want the Hawks to give him the ball more, because I think nine shooting possessions in 36 minutes is not enough for John Collins. That was always going to be somewhat of a concern with the new additions, but I think Collins deserves a little bit more investment offensively. But other than that, he played very, very well in this game. Um, Kevin Herter played great also. 17 points, 8 assists, 4 steals, and 6 rebounds for Kevin. And 41 minutes to lead all, uh, all players on both teams. 
Um, he was 7 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 8 from the three-point line, had a couple of nice driving layups in this game. That was good to see around the two-point range for Kevin. And I thought he was, you know, he's efficient. The playmaking was really, really popping. He had a couple of really nice passes. I would recommend checking out some of the written content, Peachtree Hoops, as well as uh, some of my uh, some of my guys, Peachtree Hoops, uh, on Twitter, who were clipping some plays about Herder. And uh, yeah, he, I thought he just played great, honestly. He made, a lot of, he made a lot of great reads, secondary ball handling stuff. Defensively, he held up okay. Um, just a pretty much an A an A game for Kevin Herter, and they needed it in this spot because the offense was kind of wavering at times. Um, Trey Young, 20 points, 13 assists, 3 steals, 8 rebounds. Obviously, that's a pretty good stat line. In a lot of ways, had 5 fouls. They have 6 turnovers, um, which is too many, but not not just an absolutely egregious number. was plus 12 in 32 minutes. Only took 8 shots from the field, but that is, of course, you have to factor in the 13 free throw attempts, which is another 6 possessions or so. So, it wasn't like he had a crazy low usage game offensively. Uh, the foul trouble stuff is out there. He was 2 of 5 from 3. Good to see him at least find his jump shot for a little bit of time. Uh, both makes were sort of in a short period of a short period of time, but he got to the line. He was aggressive. The passing was there. I don't think he was good, though. Uh, I think he was better than he's been at times in the last couple of weeks, but this is not exactly a game. If you didn't watch it, you see the numbers, you might think that he played better than he did. I thought he was better, but not... Trey Young good. Like, he's working his way, his way through some stuff, obviously, here. And we'll see how he plays. But I think if you watch this game objectively, um, there were a couple flashpoints where he had a couple good minutes at a time. But the overall product was not exactly like the Trey Young in all capital letters performance. Um, so that's worth noting. But they won anyway. And he was still plus 12 when he was playing. So there you go on that. And then finally, DeAndre Hunter, 25 points to lead the Hawks in scoring. A career high. No, sorry, a season high. Not a career high. A season high for DeAndre the only, the only uh, black mark there was six turnovers. You don't want that. But um, four rebounds, two assists, three steals, 8-15 from the floor, three of six from the three-point line, six of seven from the free-throw line. He was very, very good. Again, under control, got some praise from all corners after the game, from players to Lloyd Pierce to everybody else. And, uh, yeah, just a well-rounded, very, very strong effort from DeAndre. So, again, the starters were the big story in this game. And right now they have to be because the bench – if you look at the bench right now, the guys who played in this game – Coming into the year, if I told you that I had to guarantee you a nine-man rotation, we'll say a nine-man rotation before the season started, maybe Rondo would have been the only guy of the, of the guys on, on the bench today that was available that would have been that would have been in the rotation. Solomon Hill is a nice complimentary piece, but not necessarily a projected rotation guy. Goodwin, same thing, third point guard. Tony Snell, you know, fifth wing, sixth wing kind of guy. So they are pretty shorthanded right now, and that puts pressure on the starters. But in this game, they rose up, they played well, and they were able to do enough to get the victory. So before we uh, sort of sign off here, looking ahead a little bit, the Hawks do play the Pistons at home on Wednesday. That's another game where they will be favored to win. Detroit has been kind of frisky at times this season, but still the Hawks are the more, ta- the more talented team playing at home in that spot. We'll see about the injuries, but they will be favored in that one. And uh, there you go on that. But yeah, I'd say overall, basketball-wise, the takeaway today was the Hawks taking care of business, winning a game that they were supposed to win, and uh, you can't complain too much about that, even if there were some frustrating moments along the way. Okay, uh, before... We get out of here on this podcast today. Not a lot of basketball talk from this point forward, so if you want to log off, I do understand that. Um, and I won't have any basketball thoughts at the end. So that's just your, war- your warning now. So that's it for the basketball side. I'd like to play the entire thing for you, but there was some pretty interesting pregame audio from Lloyd Pierce. Obviously, today's MLK Day. It's a really important day in the country, but especially in Atlanta. Um, and obviously, the Hawks have taken a, a pretty... I would say favorable and encouraging stance on all of the uh, social justice things. And what Pierce spent at the forefront players have been at the forefront organizationally. They've done, they've done a really good job the last several months with all of their, all, all of their, uh, 
community work, I will say. And obviously the MLK jerseys being worn got a little bit of extra attention for the Hawks uh, in a good way nationally. And uh, it's always a uh, sort of a landmark day for the team on MLK Day when they're hosting when they're hosting a game. So that's the backdrop. I won't play the entire thing for you, but Pierce talked about non-basketball stuff a lot in the pregame. The first thing he was sort of asked at the very, very top of his availability about MLK Day as part of the uh, opening address, and I want to play that for you here first. I'm great. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a great day of reflection. I think it's a, uh, it's an opportunity for our guys. Uh, I think the campaign has earned these letters. It's, um, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit before the game. I think it's important for our guys to reflect why they're wearing a jersey. Um, but I'm excited. You know, there's a lot going on in our country this week with the inauguration and everything that's happened leading up to. And I think to celebrate King Day, to reflect on the legacy, to listen to the words that he spoke um, and just really see how they still uh, are relevant to, to what's going on and, and how although there's some progress, we still have a long ways to go but I think when you get to reflect and you get to think back and you get to have these conversations, what you get is a reminder of how far we still have to go and what we can do about it. From there, there was some basketball talk in pregame, as there always is, uh, some rotation stuff and you know injuries and all that stuff. But this much longer clip that I'm about to play for you, it's actually about seven minutes long, maybe close to eight minutes. And I will end the podcast here, so you'll never, you will not hear my voice again on the pod today. Thank you for listening, as always. But we'll sign off. But you, you kind of hear the back and forth. Here. I thought it was pretty cool that Lloyd Pierce involved a couple of media members, uh, Terrell Thomas and Chris Kirchner in this case, and ask some questions back to them, some real-life stuff here. And I'm going to include the entire thing for context. There is one basketball question in the middle of it about Trey's floater from Chris Kirshner, but I'm including it just because it, you'll hear the live reaction of Pierce, who answers the question first and then sort of sends it back to Chris with a question. So a lot of interesting discourse here, I thought, and I think that you know obviously Pierce is a great leader, and you can hear that kind of coming through here, but I thought it was appropriate on this MLK Day to include all of this, some non-basketball stuff at the end, but the Hawks did obviously a lot embracing um, what MLK means and all of that with the uniforms, the court, the, the messaging, and all of that. So you'll hear now, again, you'll hear the uh, the words of Terrell Thomas first and Chris Kirshner in the middle, but you, hopefully you'll be able to follow it. We'll sign off for the podcast after this. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. And here is that audio. Coach, kind of piggybacking off of the question that was asked uh, to start the interview about MLK Day. Can you speak to us about the uniqueness of, of the uniforms and which the team will wear today, having those MLK letters on the jersey, the stained glass window effect that will be on the court, the first time that the NBA franchise has uh, used an idol, a civil rights leader, any person to, uh, to represent and identify their team on their actual uniform. Can you talk to me about that uniqueness? Well, I, I think you answered it. It's, it's unique. It's the first time. It's 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 symbolic of this city. Um, I'd rather flip it and ask you. You know, what makes it unique to you? As, uh, you're, as you're studying it and seeing it, I mean, you're outside the organization. W what are your thoughts on it? Um, I honestly think it's I think it's an amazing thing. As as we are, are mentioning here, we've never seen uh, any professional sports team take the initiative of put in an actual, you know, we, it's normally what the team is representing, whether it be the Hawks or the Falcons. Uh, so to actually have a figure who was so instrumental in so many different things, uh, not only here in Atlanta, but across our nation and across our world, 
I think it's extraordinary. Um, but I, you know, with you, with you being there and with the, with the guys being there, that'll be something that'll go down in my opinion in sports history. It'll only be a few amount of guys who will actually wear that jersey, a few Hawks uh, who members who will be in the Hawks fraternity to wear that jersey. So personally, I think it's an amazing thing. No, I agree. I think uh, I think the guys are excited. Um, you know, we'll, again, we'll we'll have a conversation and a video prior to the game, and um, you know, I think earn these letters is a nice statement. And I think it's, you know, it's really an understanding of what Dr. King's legacy is about. Um, and so we'll be able to talk about that. We'll be able to explain that a little bit greater in detail. Uh, but I, I agree. I think it's pretty unique. I think it's really unique that uh, we are the team that gets to celebrate Dr. King. We are the team that gets to celebrate a humanitarian and we get to do it and combine the world of sports uh, with what's going on in our world, in our city, uh, with our with our city's greatest leader. Uh, so it's unique. It's special. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Coach. Yep. Chris. Um, Trace Floater hasn't fallen the way it has last season. Um, is there something that you think defenses are doing to try and limit his ability to, to get to that shot? No. You know, I, I think when you're when you take that type of shot, um, you know, it's it's if you can get to it, it's because defenses are back and uh, they're not letting you get to the rim. And it's it's a skill of his. Um, you know, he has to take that shot. He has to take that shot when he gets into the paint and he can't over penetrate and get into the crowd. I think what we want to we want to help him uh, is to be able to make the reads. I think there's sometimes where the lob guy is there and he was tremendous with Clint in the last couple of games. And I think sometimes the kick out for threes are there uh, and he's been pretty good at that. Um, you know, again, I don't measure the makes or misses. If that's the shot, we've seen the success of it. We've got to live with the failure of it. And we've got to continue to trust that the balance will always be there. And so he, he needs to get to those spots and continue to make the reads. And sometimes the read is to take those shots. Uh, my question for you, Chris, just kind of same, same deal. Just, I know you carry us. Like, what are your thoughts on today and King Day? understanding us with the jerseys, the significance of us playing on this day. You, you have any thoughts having lived here in Atlanta? Um, I think it's awesome that uh, the organization is putting MLK's um, initials on the jersey just because of what he's represented. I know the Hawks organization is very passionate about being involved in the community and, and making sure that it's not just a, a business entity, but um, woven into the fabric of the community. And I think it's important that um, you know a sports organization um, takes a stand when it comes to that because lots of times, and not even in just in sports, but um, businesses or any other um, private entity, it's sometimes uh, not the case that they want to take a stand. And when it comes to social justice initiatives or anything that you know some people might think that you know you shouldn't you know, stick to sports is usually the the phrase that a lot of people use so i think it's awesome that um especially for someone like mlk who's meant so much to the history of the united states that he is um you know prominently displayed on this team's uniforms i think it's awesome and i think it um brings more awareness to what the hawks are trying to do when it comes to being involved in the community obviously you're heavily involved in voting rights and equal justice and, and all the things that you are, um, all the things that you stand for. So I think it's a, a great thing that the Hawks are doing this. 
I want to say something, Chris, you said something to me, um, I think early in the, in the preseason and I, and I, I kind of took it as a knock, but then I didn't. And and I want to explain it a little better because you had asked why over the course of the summer, um, I decided to use my voice more. And I think I followed up by saying, well, I, it wasn't over the summer that I've used my voice. I think people heard me more speak on these issues because I was getting requests more uh, because of what was going on. And so I'm, I'm not, it's not a knock on you. I thought the question was good and it stuck with me um, because I challenge you guys. I think everyone, one of the things I learned as a head coach is when you get in a position and people request for you to speak more about social justice issues and off the court issues and things of that nature, it's easier for me to do it because I have people that are asking and they would love to have a head coach speak about social and racial justice. But for, I think for everyone on this call, um, it's kind of what my first couple of years have been like off the court. You know, when I do a, a spades tournament or I do a Solomon's temple um, family dinner, you know, to me, I'm not necessarily using my voice and speaking about it. Those are just things that I'm, I'm feel I'm trying to do to help the community. It doesn't, I don't need attention. I don't need to speak it into existence about why, but the why is simple. It's just, how can I help others? And I think for you guys all, it doesn't need to be uh, a tragic event or a drastic event to speak up on racial or social justice. I think sometimes you helping out at a community, you helping out at a school is the equivalent to speaking up or speaking out. So I, that question always stood with me um, because I, I kind of got offended because I was like, well, I've been doing a lot of stuff since I've been here. I just don't go on CNN and MSNBC to speak about Solomon's Temple. But to me, it's all one and the same. And so I, I just say that to you guys. I know you guys cover us athletically. You guys will cover MLK today and the events. But I don't think it needs to stop there. I think there's opportunities for everyone to continue to talk about what we can do, what we should do, what the players are doing, um, what you're doing, what you think of the current events, it ties into sports. No matter what we say, the fact that we talk about MLK, the fact that we talk about politics, racial and social justice, doesn't mean we have to walk away from it when there's not a major event or it's not MLK day. So I just wanted to share that.